Welcome to Mistress Mia's Dungeon. I'm your hostess, Mistress Mia. And tonight I bring you Mia's Bedtime Story. This story is found on utopiastories.com. The title is Be Careful What You Wish For. And it begins, I've been kinky for as long as I can remember. It's made dating complicated, but not impossible. So I considered myself very fortunate when I met Joanna online. I was a bondage enthusiast, and she was a dominant. We had a wonderful couple of years exploring our fetishes. Lots of leather, chains, and gag. The usual BDSM affair. She was a criminal psychiatrist and had been in the field for over 20 years, working in different institutions across the country. This initially gave me pause for thought. I couldn't help but worry I was being read in some way for the first few months of our time together. Eventually, though, I managed to get over it. For one, she was loaded. Once we moved in together, it was agreed that I would take care of the household and she would pay the bills. Worked for me. I had always had submissive tendencies, so the role of housewife, per se, suited me happily. Secondly, she was kind and a thoughtful person. Ever understanding and not to mention extremely attractive and kinky as hell. I'd be a fool to spoil things by overthinking and worrying unnecessarily. Frankly, I felt I'd hit the jackpot. Eventually, her work even began to intrigue me. I had often heard of padded cells and institutional restraints and, and the like. The internet spoiled me for images of straight jackets and segufic style bed bondage. Countless straps holding a person down, not knowing how long they'd be kept there. Long white hallways lined with locked doors, canvas and padded white walls. In truth, I began to fetishize such things. Seeing her come home from work in her crisp uniform and with her hair pulled up into a tiny ponytail was always a pleasure for me. Quietly, I dreamed of being her patient for a day and would imagine what that would be like. So naturally, I began to probe. I asked if the institution she works in had a padded cell. Yes, she replied curtly. Sometimes patients are unstable to the point they have to be restrained, but I like to keep my work and home life separate. Apparently, she had a lot of trouble mentally balancing her desires to bind and dominate someone and make them helpless with her natural inclination to care for people. I can understand. That must be complicated mentally. It was pretty evident she didn't want to discuss it much, but my obsessions only grew with me. Eventually, I couldn't keep myself from asking if I would ever be possible to spend a day in the institution she worked in. She replied, Oh, no, with a tilt to her voice and, and looked away. The people in my care are mostly criminal and dangerous. Even if I could bring you in for a stay and not lose my job, I, I don't think the reality would match whatever you've seen on the internet. Nurses aren't porn stars. It's not much of a life once you're in the system. This didn't do much to dissuade my brain from fantasizing about it anyway. Eventually, I decided to test the waters further. If I couldn't have... Have I dreamt of a reason I could at least create a facsimile of it at home at least? After some research and much anticipation, I surprised her with a posy straitjacket. Imported and expensive, but 
an exquisite piece of kit, thick white canvas and heavy-duty straps and buckles. When I presented it to her, she seemed elated, actually, which surprised me. With our earlier discussions in mind, I expected her to be at least hesitant. With wide eyes and a big grin, she exclaimed, You know, I can't enjoy these things at work. I have to be professional. I'm very happy we get to share this pleasure at home. She took the jacket off my hands and unfolded it to examine it closer. She looked up and said, Now take your clothes off. This was an instruction I'd received many times in our previous games, and I dutifully obliged. She quickly applied it to me, sliding my arms into the long sleeves. Several straps ran down my back and were tightened just enough to keep me constantly aware of them, but not so tight the jacket became uncomfortable. My arms were pulled through a thick loop on the front of the jacket and were secured behind me. This kept me from raising my arms above my stomach, snugly wrapping them around my belly. A crotch strap was threaded between my thighs and was also secured behind me, preventing me from pulling the jacket up over my head. The whole process felt like it took only moments. She'd clearly done this before. Her eyes peering over the top of her glasses, she quietly explained with a small smirk that these things are designed to be humane, legally speaking. If you're going to restrain a person long-term against their will, they have to be comfortable. They can't produce pressure sores or cut blood off to the extremities, which is just as well as I'm keeping you in it until tomorrow. Thank you, David. This was a wonderful surprise, and I'm so glad you got the proper equipment. I replied with a smile that I wanted authenticity. I tested my bonds unconspicuously. My arms were immobilized. The straps yielded ever so tightly, but I may as well have been an amputee at that point. The reality of what she said sunk in. I sat cross-legged on the floor, giving myself a hug. I couldn't let go of it. She was there as she stood over me, looking down. I raised my head and cocked it quizzically. I asked if I'm wearing this until tomorrow, and how will I eat? Or go to the bathroom, for that matter. She stooped and rested a hand on my cheek. She locked her eyes with mine. There was something in the look she was giving me that I couldn't quite place. Well, that's what I'm here for, isn't it? And it was. I was helpless as a babe. She looked after me well. I admired her professionalism. This wasn't a usual scene between us. No role-playing, no sexy outfits, her leather straps, just her and I. I was helpless and in her care. We parked ourselves on the couch and watched TV, as this wasn't a BDSM scene exactly, just me in bondage. Nothing else. She sat upright with me resting my head on her lap while she gently stroked my hair. Later, she spoon-fed me our dinner together. I was surprised at how long it took with her methodically scooping and holding my food to my mouth, watching me intently as I dutifully chewed and swallowed, opening my mouth for the next spoonful. I, I felt infantile, utterly dependent. Frankly, it was bliss. I struggled to feel comfortable with asking her to help me toilet. I, I felt it like a step too far and a little too weird. I ended up holding it until I was severely uncomfortable. Ultimately, though, I, I couldn't hold it forever and sheepishly, I had to ask her to help me. Of course, she replied with a warm smile. 
I was wondering if you were ever going to ask. Wait there. She lifted me off her lap and stood up to walk out of the room. She returned moments later with her hair tied up in the high ponytail I'd come to love and, and now sporting a pair of disposable rubber gloves. <sighs> come with me then, she said. I noticed her demeanor had changed. Her posture was straight and businesslike. Her smile was gone. I figured she'd mentally slipped into work mode which made sense. This wasn't exactly going to be a pleasant business. She waited for me to stand and walk over to the living room door, where she stood with her arms crossed in front of me, the curve of her breast gently resting on her forearms. I noticed she was watching my feet as I walked across the room. We'll have to do something about that, she said, gesturing to my ankles. Presumably, she didn't like that I was able to walk around so freely. Truth be told, Neither did I. Despite my humiliation, standing bound and naked from the waist down, and my genitals completely exposed, I was intensely aroused. That arousal was clearly visible. She uncrossed her arms and perched a hand on her hip. The other, she pointed to my erection. And you have to do something about that, for obvious reasons. I replied that I wasn't entirely sure I could, under the circumstances. To which she rolled her eyes and gave a straight... Fine. She grabbed the thick loop on the front of the jacket and led me to the bathroom. She turned away and left the room to head to the bedroom with a quick, wait there. She returned in moments with a tube of lubricant in my hand. My erection was throbbing. None of our other games had ever turned me on so much. It was exhilarating to be so helpless and vulnerable. I'd experienced a feeling very close to this before with our other bondage games, but there was something about the situation that amplified everything tenfold. This wasn't everyday BDSM. I felt like her patient for the very first time. She once again placed a hand on my cheek and said softly, I'm gonna undo the crotch strap now. Be good for me and behave. I nodded and wait for her to do so. After which she sat me down into the toilet and gently but firmly pressed my legs apart. Okay, this is the next five seconds of silence. Wordlessly, she liberally applied lube to my shaft and began to work it. Her other hand reached towards my face, her thumb and forefinger gently pinched under my chin, and she raised my head so my gaze met hers. I saw that unknown look again in her eyes, and I realized what it was. This wasn't an act of passion. This was clinical. My arousal wasn't wanted or desired. My erection was in the way of her doing her job. So she was merely doing what was required to get rid of it. With these thoughts rushing through our eyes, they locked together. She gave a one-word command. Her face was emotionless, but her eyes were so focused and intense as she stated, Come. I did. Immediately was arguably the strongest orgasm I had ever experienced. She kept my face in line with hers, meeting my eyes through every powerful convulsion. It is something I will never forget, I hope. The job done, she released my chin and I hung my head panting. She removed and disposed of the lube, sodden glove, replaced it with a fresh one with her pocket. And she dried and cleaned my now flaccid cock and pushed it into the toilet bowl between my legs. She took a step back and once again folded her arms. Now, do what we're here to do, please. It took several minutes. My arousal was gone and all that was left was my helplessness and embarrassment. It was humiliating. I had never had to do that with an audience before and it felt so unusual. My head still hung. I could feel her eyes bore into my scalp as she stood there silently waiting for me to do as I was told. Eventually, a steady flow began and emptied my bladder. The only sound in the room, the flow of water ringing off the tiled walls. The stream ended and I looked up. She arched her eyebrow and stated firmly, You're not done. 
We're going to be in bed after this, and I don't want you waking me up in the middle of the night because you need help again. I sighed rather pathetically and hung my head in shame again. Thankfully, this was easier. Presumably, because my mind had already lowered its guard, and my body was suitably relaxed enough down there to continue. So I evacuated silently while she watched and waited. I raised my head and she stepped towards me and placed her hands under my elbows and she gestured for me to stand up, which I did. Placing one hand on my back and another at the top of my thigh, she gently pushed to instruct me to bend over, to which I complied. She cleaned me in silence, threaded the crotch strap back into place, and had me stand straight again. Now when I looked at her, she was smiling softly. The work done, she was more relaxed. With the slight incline of her head, she said, Come on now, let's get to sleep. It's late and I have to work tomorrow. We went to bed and she hugged me, kissed me softly on my forehead, and I slept next to her in my new favorite item of clothing. I felt that was the best night's sleep I had had in my life. So, come morning, she released me. I had a mix of emotions, relief to have my independence return, but also somewhat sad that it was over. I expressed my desire to do that again sometime, and she now, back to her normal self, assured me that we definitely will. And we did. Over the next few months, we repeated this scenario multiple times. I confess the novelty eventually weighed, but her enthusiasm for repeated similar sessions remained. If anything, she became more committed to the idea of having me physically dependent on her. It was becoming a thing, even if I wasn't particularly in the mood. Don't misunderstand. I, I still loved it, but I also still desired more. I wanted to feel the same way I did that first time. More than once, I mentioned this to her as casually as I could. She one day came home with a pair of medical restraints from my ankles, reducing me to have to very slowly shuffle around when I, when I was, you know, under her care. That was a fun addition. Finally, I realized I should be grateful for what I have, and I was. I decided to stop pushing for more. We were both doing something we enjoyed, and really that was enough. So nearly a year later of routinely sharing this experience together, you can imagine my surprise when she said over dinner, holding a spoon to my face, that she says, um, hey, I, I had an idea, and I think you're going to love it. The plan was relatively straightforward, actually. I was to be a transfer patient for a 24-hour stay, kind of a midway stop at the institution she worked at before being sent to another institution across the country. That would be our story, anyway. Her level of security access meant she could forge the necessary paperwork to have me admitted and released the next day. Essentially, she had invented an inmate of another institution that could no longer cater to their needs, and I was to assume this false identity. She presented me with some rather sizable-looking documents and explained that they were just routine admission papers. I was to sign them with the assumed name, and then she would discreetly feed them into the system at work. On paper, everything would be above board, so nobody would have to cause to inquire further of my history. Using a fake name made sense. 
not least of which because it was probably not wise to have my real name anywhere on their system. The complicated part would be getting me in and out, but she had an idea for that too, apparently. I was elated. My excitement was dizzying. A real padded cell in a real institution? My fantasies had focused on such an experience, further enhanced by the games we'd been playing at home. For so long, I eagerly signed the pretend name on every line she pointed at. I didn't stop to think, or read for that matter. When would an opportunity like this ever present itself again? I'd be an idiot to pass it up. Satisfied, she scooped up the paperwork and placed it into her work bag. When she turned back to face me, she had become somber. She leaned forward in her chair and her hands clasped tightly in front of her. David, you're going to have to follow my instructions precisely. I'm taking a huge risk for us to have this experience together. Do not speak to anybody. Do you understand? The second we walk through those doors, you are mute. You do not say a single word to anybody, not one soul. Swear this to me, David. What we're doing is against the law. More will happen to me than just losing my job if anyone has any reason to think that you should not be there. I enthused that I understood completely and expressed how extremely grateful I was for this chance at something I thought I would only have ever dreamt about. This is the ultimate bondage experience, I assured her. I was not going to screw it up. Seemingly pleased, she leaned back, grinning, and said, This is going to be amazing. For all intents and purposes, you're going to be my patient for real. I'll have to remain a professional, of course, so we'll get to know each other. And no one will know the truth. You'll be in that cell just for me. It's going to be great. It was going to take a couple days for everything to be ready, and thankfully they flew by. Before I knew it, the day of my commitment had arrived, and I was giddy with anticipation. Looking back, I should have asked a lot more questions. Any questions, really, but I was overwhelmed. I just didn't stop to think. Also, looking back, how could I possibly know what to expect? It was late on a Friday night. The sun had gone down, and we got into her car for the drive. She was in uniform, her hair pulled high, and she sported a pair of smart-heeled shoes. We chatted happily through the journey, which took a couple of hours. I pointed out that I thought her work was closer, and she replied cheerfully, it is, but I just can't turn up at the front door with you in tow and expect you just to walk right in, can I? There are procedures. So we're going to pick up a location first. Don't worry, I have it all planned out. It made sense to me. She was quite right. It wasn't like we were just going to a motel. So when we pulled up behind a large armored-looking black van, I assumed, you know, we were going to do this. We got out of the car, and she retrieved a bag out of the trunk, her heels clicking on the tarmac. We walked up to the rear of the van, which was apparently unlocked, and she strode right up to it and swung open the doors. Rapidly sweeping her arms to gesture me inside quickly, I hopped in, and she slammed the doors behind me. Now inside, the overhead light switched on, and I was startled to see a wheelchair secured to the side of the van. 
It wasn't a normal-looking wheelchair. It was high-backed with solid panels behind where the legs would rest, ending in protruding plates to place the feet. It was absolutely covered in secured-looking straps. The seat had a hole carved out of the middle, making it resemble a toilet seat. There was nothing underneath the seat. I, I turned to Joanne looking for an explanation and saw her rummaging through the bag she had brought. From it, she produced when I recognized as a bright orange prisoner uniform. She thrust the outfit into my hands and whispered urgently, put this on quickly, the driver will be back soon. I didn't hesitate. I changed as quickly as I could. The fit wasn't great, but I figured such things aren't exactly professionally fitted for each person. While I was changing, she was preparing the chair. It looked incredible and I found myself wishing we had one at home. Once dressed appropriately, she sat me down and placed my arms onto the armrest of the chair. On each arm, a strap was secured around the wrist and forearm, and then another over the bicep. Once both arms were immobilized, a sensation I was very familiar with by now. She fastened further straps individually around my ankles, my shins, my thighs. I assumed that was all there was to it, but she continued. Thicker straps were placed over my stomach and my chest. Just how secure do people need to be kept in this place? I wondered to myself, this seemed like overkill. Even more so when further straps were placed over the tops of my feet. I had never felt so restrained in my life. I could not move an inch in any direction. I was pinned into a seated position. The sensation was wonderful, and I predictably became aroused immediately. She didn't appear to notice, as after securing my feet, she produced a small bag made of mesh, which she deftly slipped over my head. She turned away to face the front of the van, which I noticed had no window between the passenger section and the driver. Just a solid steel plate and what looked like a small hatch that opened from the other side. I had asked what she had put on my head, and she replied, spit guard, without looking at me. She slammed her hand twice onto the dividing panel and turned back to me, took my head into her hands and kissed me gently on the forehead. I couldn't feel it properly through the mesh, but the gesture filled me with warmth. Any reservations I'd had up to this point, which I confess were a few, melted away. I trusted her. I knew I was safe in her care. I heard the driver's door open and slam shut. Footsteps made their way to the back of the van. I tensed involuntarily against my bonds. She gently pressed my head onto the high board of the wheelchair and secured yet another strap over my forehead. Don't worry, she whispered as she fastened the final piece of my restraint. A strap under my chin fastened to a spot above my head. Every square inch of my body was now immobilized, as if on cue. As some of my bondage was complete, I heard a loud click as the van doors were locked. The footsteps traveled back to the driver's door, which opened and slammed shut. The engine started. I guess this was it. I was officially off to have my once-in-a-lifetime experience. I was already experiencing things I could only dream of. I could not wait. Once we were moving, Joanne sat on a bench opposite my chair. Her hands clasped as they did before. She leaned forward and reiterated, Remember, do not say a word. I gave as much of a nod as I could, which was more of a tiny jerk, 
but she saw my affirmation. Leaning to her side, she picked up her bag and stuffed my clothes into it. She paused and seemed to be debating something internally. Her brow was furrowed into a frown. She appeared to come to whatever decision she was coming to and reached further into the bottom of the bag. She pulled out a syringe. I tensed again, uselessly. The myriad of straps covering my body cut into me. Firmly, but not painfully, I asked what it was for. Popping the cap off and exposing the needle, she glanced at me and replied, I'm going to sedate you now. It won't knock you out, but you're going to feel very drowsy for a few hours. You'll struggle to think straight, but it'll keep you calm. I asked why it was necessary and expressed that I wasn't keen on the idea at all, but she shook her head gently. All patients are sedated during transit. It'd raise eyebrows if you weren't. I still didn't like the idea, but there wasn't anything I could do besides protest verbally, which she promptly ignored. I was stuck in the thigh and felt the fluid enter my body as the plunger was pushed down. Almost immediately, my vision became foggy. I tried to speak, but my mouth wouldn't obey my brain commands. I could feel myself drool as I tried to say something. All I could produce were vowel sounds and grunts. Before long, as was explained to me, I couldn't form thoughts well enough to convey anyway. I was awake, but my mind seemed distant. She sat back down opposite me and played with her phone for the rest of the trip. The next couple of hours are a blur. I can only recall vague snapshots in my mind. I remember the drive a little, or at least a sense of what I was going through. The steady drone of the engine and sensation of acceleration and deceleration and turning corners, all while firmly secured into a seated position. I suppose, looking back, I should be grateful for the sedation. I can imagine I would have felt some panic worrying about if we had been in a car accident or something else, but I'd be stuck and I would be unable to protect myself from harm. Instead, I just calmly floated on my way to my new home for the next 24 hours. I recall the door swinging open and floodlights momentarily blinding me. I remember a very large and stern-looking man helped Joanna steer me down the ramp of the van and towards a large and heavy-looking set of doors, the wheelchair jostling me helplessly as it went over on an occasional bump. Lights swept over my head as I was wheeled down a long hallway. I remember the click of her heels behind me, reassuring me that she was still there and I was still safe. My mind was slightly cleared by the time we arrived at the impatient registration desk. I could still feel myself drooling slightly. It was annoying that I couldn't wipe my face. I still couldn't speak properly. Not that I would have anyway. I was being honest when I said I would do as I was told. I, I didn't think the sedatives were necessary. I didn't know why she felt they were. I would have behaved. I heard Joanna's voice go vaguely back and forth with the receptionist. I couldn't see over the desk where I was. I heard the door. And then I heard high risk, dangerous, and delusional. I suppose padded cells aren't for low-maintenance patients. 
The receptionist spoke briefly on the phone. I caught the words, patient 2397, but nothing else. A loud buzzing shouted from the door ahead of us. The sound of a heavy mechanical lock snapped open as the very large man swung it open. I was wheeled through by Joanna leaving the man behind. I was completely powerless against what was happening to me. The reality of what I was doing began to sink in. I tensed against my restraints again, and my breathing became heavier. Joanna gave a quiet, Hush, we're nearly there. After turning a few corners and passing an unaccountable number of doors, we reached an elevator. Inside the wall was mirrored, and I saw myself for the first time. It was extremely arousing seeing myself so completely restrained. Joanna leaned down and whispered, Suits you, into my ear when we descended to our destination. It felt like a very long way down. The doors opened, and there were two more tall and strong-looking men waiting for my sturdy-looking metal door. Orderlies, presumably, they didn't look too happy to see me. One slid a key card through a slot, and again I heard the sound of a heavy mechanical locking mechanism. The door was opened, and a solid floor plate, almost as wide as the door, was placed over the threshold, ending about halfway into the room. I was wheeled inside on top of it. Momentarily, I was confused. Everything was blue. The room was small, only large enough for maybe five full steps in each direction. The ceiling looked tall enough to be too high to touch, but not by too much. I expected the walls to be white and to look like cushions or canvas, but instead they were a calming blue with a sheen of plastic or rubber. The orderlies appeared on each side of me from behind and began loosening my restraints. I was thinking more clearly, but my body was still very slow to respond. Once all my fastings were removed, an arm was inserted under each armpit, and I was lifted out of the chair. I tried to stand by my legs, but they wouldn't respond. I couldn't support my own weight. Joanna pulled the chair and bore it out from the room through the door behind me. I heard her re-enter the room and tell the orderlies that I was a high self-harm risk. They responded by stripping me naked. I was gently placed on the floor. It was soft and spongy, and I sank into it. I was lying on my side, facing a blue wall. I mustered all the strength I could and rolled over to try and see Joanna. I managed to get to my other side, just in time to see the door close with a heavy thud. But for the faint outline of it, I wouldn't even know there was a door there. There were no windows. I heard the lock loudly click back into place. I was officially trapped in a padded cell, just as I wanted, naked and alone. A panel on the door ahead was head height and also covered with blue padding and it swung open. Through it, I could hear the voices of the orderlies as they walked away, their footsteps receding. Joanna's face appeared at the hole in the door. I raised my head to look at her as much as I could. She smiled, a genuine joy-filled smile, full of warmth. She looked so happy. She simply said, her voice just above a whisper, caught you. Good night, David. The panel closed. The light went out. 
I could faintly hear the clicking of her heels as she walked away. I was so exhausted. The floor was so soft, I couldn't help but fall asleep. I have no idea how long I slept for. The thing about this room is it's impossible to tell the passing of time. What I do know is I woke up before anyone came to see me. However, the lights had been turned on at some point, which might have been what woke me. The sedatives had worn off, leaving only a faint headache. I set myself upright, scooted myself into a corner and away from the door, and I took a proper look at my cell. I'd sized it fairly accurate the night before, despite the mess my brain was in. Five or so normal steps would take me from one side to the other. Above me in the center of the ceiling was a small grated vent, emitting a low hum. The sound was barely noticeable. Shuffling myself under it, I could feel a subtle breeze flowing into the cell. Considering how sealed this room was, it made sense to have an air con pumping fresh air. In one corner of the ceiling, to the left of the door, was the recognizable shape of a small black and domed surveillance camera. A red LED light was shining on its frame above the bulb. I stood up and explored my very limited surroundings. The walls, on closer inspection, resembled the blue gym mats I used to see in school, clearly more specifically crafted for the task at hand, however. They were firm but spongy and coated in what I could only assume was a type of polymer. Wipe clean, I thought to myself. Hmm. There were seams in which each mat that had been attached to the walls, I, I counted on, on each side, not including where they had been broken up by the door. One, two, three, and so on. The exit looked almost identical to the other walls, the same length and height, but with the faint outline of a door on it, set at an eye level was the panel I had just seen Joanna in. I already missed her. She had made this happen for me. And all my life, I didn't think for a second that I'd really get to experience this. I walked up to the door and pressed my fingers in between the seams that made the outline. My attention was drawn back to the panel, and I explored it with my fingers the same way as I had the door. Same results. No chance. This cell was sealed. Honestly, I'd been disappointed if it wasn't. It wasn't at this point. I noticed another panel below the eye-level one. It was wider and shorter than the first. Having seen jail cells, I recognized a food delivery slot. I wondered when I would be fed and realized that I was actually hungry. I knew I was only here for a day, but hey, they had to feed me, right? Common sense would suggest that as an inmate of the state, they were obligated to keep me relatively healthy and alive. Besides, Joanna was looking after me. I knew it was safe. Glancing around my small blue room, I knew that if anything, I was safe. I shot a look at the black dome of the camera resting in the upper corner. If I was suffering, someone would know. It occurred to me Joanna could be watching me right now for all I knew. Perched at a monitor, ponytail high, glasses resting a little severely on her nose. She was beautiful. I always thought that. On that thought, my mind snapped back to reality. I was stark naked and alone in a small blue room. Out of interest, I shoved a shoulder into the door. Not as hard as I could, but I put a fair amount of strength into it. I didn't expect it to move, really. And I looked at the camera again, feeling exposed. 
I was embarrassed at trying something so obvious. This was a room designed to keep someone safe from themselves. Bodily hitting the door was never going to work. I knew that when I agreed to this, this was somewhat the point. Here I was, naked and alone, trapped in a cell with soft walls. The room was particularly small now that I looked around and thought about it. Seriously. I had to put things in perspective. And then it dawned on me, that was it. This small blue cell is all that I have now. Until I was let out, of course. I couldn't escape if I wanted to. I was trapped. I was contained. I was just here, existing. I had nothing to do, nothing to entertain myself with. Just me, alone with my thoughts. And an over-encroaching sense of boredom. Joanna had orchestrated this experience for me. It is what I wanted now, but all I have now are these four walls, nothing else. So I did what anyone would do when they were given their dream event. I sat down, I scooted myself into a corner of the room, wistfully looked around at my position, and I masturbated, beating it like a chimp in a corner. I wanted to at least appreciate the moment. I looked up at the bare blue corners and walls and brought myself to completion. Knowing I might be watched made me hesitate for a while. I wasn't sure I liked knowing I might be observed at all times initially. I felt invasive, but eventually I reasoned to myself, who cares? I'm a crazy person, right? The whole experience of being severely strapped to a wheelchair, forcibly wheeled to my fate, was far more than I ever expected to experience already, and here I was, in a padded cell. The door was locked, and I couldn't get out. This is what I always wanted. So I climaxed, alone in a soft blue room. I didn't look at the camera. I didn't care. It wasn't a great orgasm. It felt forced. When I was done, I was still in the same room. The mats on the wall remained. My cell had not changed. I was still trapped. Truth be told, I was already extremely bored. There was no stimulation here. The reality of my situation occurred to me again. This was it. This was all there was. Just these black, blank seams on these blue walls. Nothing else. I began to feel a sinking sensation in my stomach. This might actually become a bit unbearable soon. However, I figured it was only a day-long experience, and I must be at least halfway through it, right? In a matter of time, Joanna would come back and let me out. So I might as well enjoy it. This was exactly what I wanted. It wasn't entirely what I expected, but I was in a real padded cell, unable to escape, alone but safe, arguably safer than I had been in my entire life. I don't know how many hours passed, bored and waiting, staring at nothing. It's impossible to tell. I pleasured myself occasionally just to pass the time. It was something to do. <laughs> I tried to sleep at one point, but the burningly bright light beaming straight down on me and the unusual surroundings made it impossible. So I had noticed my mind was being a bit hyperactive, trying to occupy myself, I suppose. Footsteps approached my door. I was startled at the sound initially as I had been sat in silence for hours, staring into space. I was soul-crushingly bored. Huddled in the corner, my hands concealed my nakedness. I was excited for something, 
anything to happen. I looked up at the face panel unexpectedly. It didn't open. Instead, the lower slot folded down onto the hallway and a plastic tray with a small plastic bowl and a plastic cup with a straw sticking out of the top was sharply inserted into the room. It was the same shade of blue as the walls. Disappointed but hungry, I stood and stepped to the door to take the tray. However, when I went to lift it, the tray remained solidly in place. I gave it a harder tug, but it would not yield. So instead, I tried to pick up the bowl. This also didn't work, as it was apparently affixed to the tray. It was at this point I realized the tray, bowl, and cup were all a part of the same molded item. Even the straw was part of the cup. Intrigued, I looked inside the bowl. It was full of chopped, boiled vegetables and a few chunks of meat. In the cup was water. There weren't utensils to hand. I couldn't retrieve the bowl. And by this point, the smell of food, no matter how bland-looking, made my stomach rumble. It appeared I was to eat the food with my hands while standing at the door. I consumed my paltry meal quickly and in silence. I ate and drank all that had been presented to me. I wasn't surprised at the quality of food. I expect the people here get the bare minimum they are legally required to be given. The food consumed, I retook my spot in a corner facing the door and sat down. After some minutes, the tray was pulled back out of the room and the slot closed. Eventually, during a stimulating walk in a small circle, after who knows how long staring at nothing, I distantly heard a rhythmic click that I recognized, her heeled footsteps on the floor leading to my cell. They were muffled and faint, but when everything was so silent, they were unmistakable. I'd been thinking of that for hours. Since she left and wished me good night, all I could think about was her. The steady clicking grew louder and approached the door. I sat and shoved myself to the middle of the opposite wall. I waited for the panel to open. I was so excited to see her face. It had only been hours, but the cell did strange things to the mind. It felt like an age since I had seen her, since I saw something that wasn't blue or domed in black. Thankfully, the panel opened and Joanna's face appeared, her eyes scanning the cell before they landed on me. I could tell immediately she was in a work mode. Her head was slightly tilted back in the frame of the panel. I was so happy to see her. The handful of hours I had spent in this blank cell suddenly felt like eons. She was here and I was safe. I couldn't read her body language, what felt very unusual. So I stood up and stepped towards her, my hands still covering my crotch. We've been together for years. I believed I knew her so well, and yet here I was, with only her face to understand, and I was unable to recognize anything in her expression. I said hello, and I took a step forwards, bringing my face closer to the open panel. She immediately stepped backward out of view. Chasing her face, I stepped closer to the panel and peered through it. I could see some of the hallway outside. I couldn't see any other doors but them. From here, I, I couldn't see much at all. Joanna had stepped behind a yellow line on the floor. From here, I could see her in full. Her high ponytail, her glasses, and those smart-heeled shoes she was wearing when I got into the car with her so recently. In her hands was a clipboard and a pen. Her uniform was crisp, white, and professional. 
I could tell the yellow line she stood behind was further than my reach. I pulled my face away respectfully and asked how she was. I remembered the camera and my promise that I would behave. Her shoulders squared. She lifted the clipboard she was holding closer to her face. Her eyes stayed pointed at the paper in front of her. Her pen hand raised up to the clipboard. She said in a formal tone, Hello, Jacob. My name is Dr. Ardell, and I'm here for your post-admission evaluation. How are you today? I responded that I was feeling extremely vulnerable, and that I'd never felt so helpless. I smiled as disarmingly as I could. She'd taken many risks to make this happen for me. She glanced up for a moment over her glasses and looked back at the checklist in front of her, maintaining the same tone she asked. Do you understand why you're here? I replied because she wanted me to be. Her head was downturned, but I could see a flicker of a smile on her face. She scribbled on the paperwork she was holding. She cocked her head teasingly and said, No, Jacob, do you fully understand why you're here? At this point, I became a bit concerned. She knew why I was here, and I had answered her question. I asked what she meant, as we both knew why I was here. Assertively, she replied, No, Jacob, I don't know. This is only our second time meeting. I understand that you struggle to understand what is real and what is not sometimes, and I'm here to help you during your stay here. Confused again, I shot a nervous glance at the camera and lowered my voice. I asked what she meant. I'm going home later today. That's what we agreed upon. She took a slight step back and adopted a, a defensive-looking pose. She looked up again and met my eyes firmly. That clinical look was there again. I realized I'd become a little afraid of it. She jotted something down onto the clipboard and peered at me. She said, Jacob, you know that is not true. I was still confused more than anything. I could only assume this was part of the game. To make me think I was here longer than we planned, an extra thrill, I suppose. I knew I couldn't take much more of this empty boredom and I'd been here less than a day. Stuck in a box was less exciting than I expected. This was her job, though, so I knew the mental impact of such isolation. She knew just as well. After I explained this to her emphatically, she wrote more on the paper in front of her and snapped without looking up. Patient 2397, please step away from the door and rest your back onto the wall behind you. Surprised by her change in tone, and not being referred to by my name, fake or not, I complied immediately without even thinking. She took a firm step forward and brought her face up to the panel once more. She studied me through the hole in the door for what felt like an uncomfortable length of time. With nothing else to look at, I simply stared back. I was still naked as the day I was born, exposed and vulnerable. I did my best to maintain my dignity and asked her directly what was going to happen to me. Her eyes glanced at the white stains in the corner of the room, and in a monotone voice she said, Well, first, we're going to have to clean your room. She stepped back to scribble something on her clipboard and then placed her face back into the panel. That sort of behavior is unacceptable, Jacob. The staff here have more important things to do than cleaning up your filth. I hung my head in shame and muttered quietly, that I understood. I was a bit disappointed in myself now that the attention had been brought to it. 
I'd been pleasuring myself at her work. She must have been internally completely embarrassed by me. I should have known better. Her eyes came back to mine, and she said formally, It appears you're in the midst of a delusional episode, so I see nothing more to discuss until your mind is clearer. Our next appointment is scheduled for this time next week. I recoiled and internally panicked. This didn't make any sense. This wasn't what we had discussed at all. I felt completely powerless. Nothing I could say would change anything. I just had to hope that this was all sort of some game she was playing. Then suddenly something in me snapped. The prospect of a whole week in here was too much. Unthinking, I rushed towards the door, blurting in a louder tone that I meant that she couldn't leave me here without without her for that long. Please, this was too much. Don't leave me. I need her. I outstretched an arm to the panel in an attempt to touch her face. I needed some contact, any contact, some reassurance that this was just still a game. Please. She immediately stepped back behind the yellow line and watched me intently. I reached through the panel, stretching as hard as I could, grasping at the empty air inches away from her. Her demeanor changed immediately. Her working posture melted away for the first time since I arrived. I saw the Joanna I knew again. She smiled softly and wrote on her clipboard again. While scribbling away, she said in what sounded like a genuinely happy tone, Jacob, your violent tendencies are well documented. It's evident you cannot control your temper, so measures will have to be taken for the safety of the staff. I withdrew my arm. I didn't have anything left to say. My mind was chaos, and I was speechless. I was utterly panicking. Joanna stiffened up again. Her professionalism returned. She leaned forward and ordered for me to return to the far wall of the room again. I couldn't think straight. Meek and defeated, I complied. One last time, she brought her face to the panel and said no emotion whatsoever. It was nice to meet you properly, Jacob. I'll be back in a week, but do know that I will be monitoring you. She closed the panel, sealed me in my cushioned tomb once more. As I heard the clicking of her heels dwindle in the hallway, I sank to the floor and buried my face in my hands. Tears immediately came. I sobbed freely. I, I think I was in shock. The last day, it had been just a whirlwind of emotion and adrenaline, and now that I thought about it, every step had been completely outside of my control. Since I climbed in that van, I hadn't had a say in anything at all. I felt so pathetic. I was so alone, and now I was afraid. How was I going to survive a week in this environment? This was too much. This must have been her plan from the beginning. It was never going to be just a day. She wanted me to truly feel what it was like to be here, to be in prison. I suppose I should be grateful, but really a whole week with nothing to do? It was too much. My energy eventually waned and my sobbing stopped. I was back to staring into nothing again. Sometime after, perhaps an hour or two, I had no way to know how long I had heard multiple heavier footsteps approaching my cell. The footsteps reached my door and I heard voices outside mumbling to each other. The panel opened and a man's face appeared at the panel. His eyes scanned the cell and me and then disappeared. With the panel open, I could hear their voices clearly. A man's voice said with a hint of disgust, We have another one.
Immediately after all this was said, a woman's face that I didn't recognize appeared briefly and then also vanished. I felt like I was invisible or a piece of furniture. No acknowledgement was given to me. Just faces I didn't know appearing at the door, scanning the room with their eyes, then going away again. I didn't say anything. I had to behave. And besides, at least something was happening. I heard the woman's voice float through the room. She sounded like she was bored. Yes, the file said the patient has a long history of sexual deviancy, and my notes here say something that he's apparently tried to attack a doctor earlier today. You know, during their first meeting, apparently. The man's voice chimed in. Hmm, good start. She continued, Have either of you had time to read his file yet? Two male voices replied that no, they had not. The woman's voice carried on. Well, be sure you do before the end of the day. This is a live one. Paranoid, schizophrenic, compulsive liar, and extremely violent. You should know exactly what you're dealing with here. Some of the things this patient has done will affect your opinion of him. I ask you to do your jobs and remain professional. Right then, let's get this done. We're needed upstairs. With that panel closed and the sound of the door lock clicked loudly, the door swung outwards into the corridor and two large intimidating men stepped in, looming over me from each side. Behind the panel was slid into the floor and the chair that brought me here was wheeled into the room. I noticed that under the hole in the seat, a round pot had been attached. The woman behind it was wearing the same uniform as Joanna. However, hers was yellow, not white. The man on the left gestured an upturned hand to the chair and said in a firm voice, Get into the chair, please. Not knowing what was going on, I hesitated and didn't move. I didn't say anything. I looked up at the man speaking to me. He looked at the man on the right who met his gaze. They appeared to come silent decisions between themselves, and at once both reached out and strongly inserted their arms under my armpits, forcibly lifting me from the floor to my feet. Instinctively, I resisted, shoving my body weight between them, trying to untangle myself from their arms. The man on my right chirped, Here we go! Both of them tensed and placed their both arms on my shoulders pinned me between them in a precise manner to lift me off of my feet. They turned me around and bodily pushed me into the chair. Before I could react, both my wrists were grabbed and my arms were forced into place. A strap was pulled taut over my wrists on each side. While they applied the remaining arm straps, I continued to struggle, pushing my feet on the floor. I lifted my body from the chair and thrashed my weight around as hard as I could. From behind me, the woman wrapped the chest wrap around my body and yanked it as taut as well. Pulling my body back into the chair, the men swiftly applied the straps over my thighs. I was bound to the chair again. All I could do was shuffle slightly left and right while I kicked my knees, but that lasted only moments as the rest of the straps were applied, binding my legs and feet to the seat. As soon as I could feel my feet pinned to the chair, the fight left me and I stopped. I stopped wrestling with my bonds. It was obvious I couldn't resist in any meaningful way. The stomach and head straps were secured completely and my bondage was complete. I was wheeled helplessly backward out of the room. 
Unable to turn my head, I could only flit my eyes back and forth as I tried to see as much of the corridor as I could. When I was last here, I was drugged, and my memories of it were foggy. <clears throat> it was short, with only three identical doors on the side. I can see including mine, with mine in the middle. Above my door was a green light. Above the others was a red light. To the right, the corridor ended with a wall after the next door. To my left, I could just see the elevator, and I was brought down in. I was turned away from the elevator and faced the wall at the end of the corridor. Now I could see one more door on my right towards the end. One of the men walked away and opened the door on the right. This one operated with a simple sliding lock on the outside and looked less crafted than the door to my cell. Heavy metal plates and rounded rivets were driven into the frame. Panicking again and sure what was about to happen to me, I strained against my bonds. The men had not been as gentle as Joanna, and straps were tighter than I remembered them being the last time I was restrained this way. Again, not painful, but I could feel pressure gripping my body all over. My struggles were ignored, and I was wheeled ahead to the door. Turning in, I calmed down immediately, relief washing over me. I relaxed in my bonds, heart still pounding, but slowly. On the wall to the left was a gray metal sink. On the right, in the far corner, was a matching toilet. The rest of the room was empty. The walls, ceiling, and floor were mercifully white, and there were no windows. In the center of the ceiling was another security camera. Its red lights were glowing. It was only a bathroom. I was pushed further into the room and was parked in the center. Head pinned into the straight posture, I was staring at a blank white wall. Behind me, the woman's voice declared, Bathroom break. Make the most of it. You won't be having another until tomorrow. I waited for the straps to be released, assuming I would be locked in the bathroom to do my business. Instead, I heard the woman leave the room and slam the metal door behind me. It appeared I was to empty myself as I was. Thankfully, this was a position and a mindset I had been trained in over the last year. Joanna had repeated our first experience with the straitjacket countless times, and the more I did it, the easier it had become. I closed my eyes, sighed, and relaxed myself. It didn't take long for me to be done. It did, however, take quite a while for me to be collected. I was still bored and alone, but the change in bondage was at least a break in the monotony. My main complaint was the smell wafting from under me only grew more unpleasant as time passed. Finally, the lock shunted open behind me, and the door groaned as if it was open. One of the men appeared ahead of me. He was wearing a plastic disposable apron, a disposable surgical mask, and rubber gloves. From a pocket, he produced a packet of wet wipes and placed them on the side of the sink. He stepped behind me, and I felt and heard the pot being slid away from me. He stepped ahead of me in silence and deposited the contents into the toilet. He placed the bowl in the sink and stepped behind me. After hearing some fumbling from behind, I jerked suddenly against the straps as I felt something cold and wet being roughly scrubbed against my anus. After a minute or two, so he finished cleaning me and threw the used wipes in the toilet as well. He walked in front of me, pulling more wipes from the packet in his hand. I looked up at him as he leaned in and started wiping down my body. He avoided any eye contact. I looked down again and I didn't 
want to antagonize him. He was not gentle. I was scrubbed somewhat painfully from the top of my forehead to the end of my feet. No words were spoken. My skin was stinging slightly when he was done, particularly around my eyes and the head of my penis. There must have been some sort of sanitizing chemical in the wipes. Finished, he threw the used wipes in the toilet and flushed it. The sink tap was run briefly, and a paper disposable bowl was held under my chin. The chin strap was released. With the band over my forehead still, I didn't give any more mobility than I had already been at this point. I could now open my mouth. A toothbrush was held in front of my lips. I lowered my jaw obediently. My teeth were brushed roughly. It scratched my gums and was quite painful. When he was done, he held the bowl under my mouth. I spit. I'm pretty sure I saw blood. My mouth was wiped clean and the chin strap was promptly reapplied. He stepped back behind, turned me around and pushed me back into the hallway. I was wheeled left back to my door and my heart sank as I realized I was going back into my blue cell. The woman in the yellow uniform was waiting outside on the left side of the corridor. As I turned back to my cell, I saw the second man standing inside. In his hands was something I immediately recognized, a straitjacket. It was identical to the one I had purchased for myself. On reflection, I imagined I surprised them when I was asked confrontationally by the man, are we going to have a problem? I looked down and meekly twitched my head as much as I could to indicate no. The truth was I was happy to see it. It was something familiar, something I knew. There was a comfort in the garment that I hadn't appreciated before. He grunted an affirmation and nodded his head to the man behind me. I was jostled around slightly as, one by one, the straps were loosened and removed. The man in front of me unfolded and turned the jacket towards me to present the sleeves for my arms. I obediently stood up, knowing I was being watched closely for any sign of trouble, and I outstretched my arms to insert them into the jacket. The men were gentler than they had been with the chair, presumably because I was behaving. In a matter of moments, I had snugly held in a permanent self-hug. The feel of the jacket against my skin was soothing. It made me feel closer to Joanna. I solemnly reminded myself how grateful I was to her for allowing me to experience this. The first item of clothing that I had been allowed since I first entered this room now fastened. Hands were placed on my shoulders and I was firmly turned to face the wall opposite the door. As this was done, the man ordered, patient 2397, turn to the face of the wall and remain there until the doors closed. Knowing I didn't have any other option, I obeyed, resting my forehead onto the cushioning of the wall. The door thudded closed behind me and the lock mechanically clicked in place once again. I turned around without my hands and arms to balance myself. Walking on the squishing flooring proved a little challenging and I wobbled slightly as I tried to orient myself. The corner of my cell had been cleaned and the stains were gone. Everything else was exactly as I had left it. I leaned forward into the wall and slowly collapsed to the floor. I was bored already, but at least I got to wear the jacket. More hours passed, most of the time I sat on the floor and occasionally getting up to stretch my legs by walking in a circle around the room, occasionally bumping myself into the walls and bouncing off slightly. No reason, just because I was so bored it was maddening. I reasoned it must have been even the evening by now. 
I had no idea of the time, but I was getting hungry again. Almost as if my mind had been read, I heard footsteps to my door again. Dinner time appeared to be identical to lunchtime. The same molded tray was inserted through the slot, and the same food was in the bowl. Only water in the cup with my arms pinned to me. Consuming my meal was tricky. Bending over, I had to plant my face into the bowl, sucking up chunks and lapping them up with my tongue, like a pig at a trough. It made me a bit of a mess, but since there was no sauce to speak of, it wasn't so bad. The water was at least easy to acquire with the straw. As before I sat back down, the tray was pulled away, the slot closed behind. After some time passed, the light went out and I was plunged into total darkness except for the glowing red dot in the corner of the ceiling. A reminder that I was still being watched with a soft thud I laid down onto my side and turned away from it. One day down, six to go, at least I couldn't see blue. The hardest part of this experience so far was remaining calm. The next day was identical to the day before, but it was one noticeable difference. It was completely apparent the staff now despised me. At first I didn't understand the difference in their behavior towards me. While they were firm on the first day, they were at least providing me with instructions. Now I haven't had a word spoken to me in days. They arrive silently. I'm grabbed and manhandled into the chair more than once, and the straps were pulled too tight during my bathroom breaks, resulting in painful wrists and ankles. When I'm cleaned, they're even rougher than they were the first time. And by the time they're done, I'm sore and my skin is red, and I swear I'm getting less food than I did before. I haven't resisted once since the first time, and yet they still bodily shove me around, grabbing me from my wrists and forcefully taking me into that straitjacket, lifting me up and roughly forcing me into the chair over and over. They are cruel. They don't beat me, but I don't think I've been given the opportunity to resist anything, even if I ever wanted to. Their guard is permanently up, and I'm made to feel like an inconvenience to their day. It has taken every ounce of my willpower to remain totally compliant. A very large part of me wants to shout and swear at them. I want to demand they treat me like a human being, not some sort of animal that must be kept alive out of obligation. And then on day four, it finally sunk in what was going on. What exactly was on the file they were told to read? What had I done to deserve such derision from the people whose job it was to care for me? I supposed it didn't matter. The week was almost over, and I'd be going home soon. Once I had a sense of the routine of life here, the boredom became easier to manage. I knew what to expect and roughly when to expect it. I still had no way of telling exactly what time it was. The days bled into each other. I spent 90% of my time aimlessly pacing in my cell or staring into oblivion. Three times a day, food was delivered through the slot, and between the second and third meal, I was forcibly taken to the bathroom to relieve myself bound to the chair. I missed Joanna terribly. The day of her return had arrived and I could not wait. At least I was relatively certain it was today. It was becoming harder to keep track of what day it was, as every day was identical to the last. I was desperate to be out of here. This is nothing like what I had imagined it being. I don't know what I imagined, truthfully, but what I knew, this was not it. The steady, unbearable monotony was destroying me. I was woefully depressed and terribly lonely. 
I needed to go home and put myself back together so I could reclaim my name and sense of identity. I needed my life back. Joanna was correct when she said it's not much of a life here. I haven't seen daylight since I arrived. I haven't had use of my arms the whole time since I first let them jacket me. The jacket, the chair, the jacket, the chair, every day, over and over. I've permanently been in bondage for a whole week. I miss simple things like being able to scratch and itch or brush my own teeth. A while after my second feeding, I finally heard footsteps again. It felt too soon to be my bathroom break, so I was alarmed. And they weren't the clicking heels of Joanna's heels. It had to be her, though. This week had been so difficult. I was, I was damn proud of myself for keeping it together, and I couldn't wait for her to tell me how proud she was of me. I clumsily rested my back to the wall and shakily pushed myself up with my legs into a standing position. I shuffled over to the middle of the room facing the door. The panel opened and it, it wasn't Joanna. I, I didn't recognize this woman. She stepped back behind the yellow line and gestured with a hand for me to step forward. I did and I got a better look. Her uniform was white, her hair was down, resting on her shoulders. She was wearing flats. She brandished the same clipboard Joanna had the previous week. I asked who she was and where was Joanna. Without looking up from the notes in front of her, she replied cordially, Good afternoon, Jacob. I'm Dr. Lewison. Dr. Ardell has been called away. She'll be present for your review next week. I was stunned. Next week? No, no, no. I, 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 I demanded to see Joanna. She snapped. You will refer to your doctor as Dr. Adler, Jacob. If you continue to show such disrespect, then I will no longer do you the courtesy of calling you by name in the future. I laughed and declared that Jacob isn't even my name, and she didn't know what she was talking about. She began writing on the clipboard again. I could hear the words, compulsive liar, ringing in my ears. It dawned on me nothing I was said was going to be heard by these people. No amount of reasoning could affect anything that happened to me. Nothing I said or did would change a single thing. I was completely and utterly powerless. This woman had said, I'd see Joanna next week. Next week? Just how long was I supposed to do this for her? And it was for her. It stopped being for me after day one. I lost my patience and my temper. Bound in a straitjacket, or no, after a week of, of doing everything I've been told to, despite being treated like an animal, despite the utter contempt I had received, I was going to let my thoughts known. I screamed at her that I wasn't supposed to be here. I was not who they thought I was. I knew I was breaking my promise, but my rage, my rage had this deep sense of betrayal at Joanna's absence blinded me to anything resembling rational thought. I shouted until I was hoarse. I bellowed that this is wrong, this is cruel and inhumane. At this, she glanced up and spat with unsettled disapproval. Under the circumstances, patient 2397, and at the risk of being unprofessional, I would argue that we can all agree your treatment here is far more humane than you deserve. The words pierced my rage. With dawning horror, I came to realize something that hadn't occurred to me until now. I may not get out of here at all. 
With this revelation burning through my mind, I howled in rage and defiance. I began kicking the door as hard as I could without toppling over. I slammed my head into the wall. It changed nothing, but I had a week of misery and frustration to vent, and all came pouring out of me at once. In response, this horrible woman stood up and stepped out of sight to the side of the door. The panel slammed shut. It appeared our conversation was over, but it wasn't. I'd had enough, no more. I was not going to comply. I was not going to be treated this way a moment further. Something primal had appeared in me, an instinctive desire to rebel. I was not going to follow the rules a moment longer. I looked at the camera, fury pouring in my head. I did the only thing I could think to do. I turned around and bared my behind to the camera. I squatted down and emptied my bladder and bowels right then and there. With the crotch strapped in place, it made an awful mess. The metaphorical middle finger given, I felt a rush of power I hadn't felt since I came to this damned place. I felt dizzy with glee at the accomplishment. For the first time in a week, I felt empowered. Then unexpectedly, for the first time in days, I felt aroused. I couldn't use my hands, but I was damned if I wasn't going to ruin their day as much as I could. I dropped to my knees and fell flat forward. I dry-humped the floor vigorously until I was done. Panting and exhausted, I stayed where I was, laying face down in a pool of my own filth. Fuck them and fuck Joanna. I felt less like a minute before I heard multiple footsteps running towards my cell. I guess my display was being monitored after all. Hmm, good to know. The lock released and the door opened. I immediately began kicking, flailing my legs wildly in the direction, aiming for my face that dare came close. One man lunged forward, placed his large and coarse hands just above my knees and pinned my legs to the floor. I withered and screamed. My head was pounding and my throat was horrifically painful, but I didn't care. No more. No more. Another man inserted himself behind me and placed his hands on my shoulders to try and hold the rest of me in place. Seeing opportunity, I lunged at him, sank my teeth into his arm. He shouted in pain, but his grip didn't loosen. The doctor, that wasn't Joanna, entered the room with a large syringe in her hands. I thrashed as much as I could, but I wasn't accomplishing anything. She leaned down and quickly stuck me with a needle. With one last howl, I shuddered, resentment coursing through me, and then my strength left me all at once. I stopped struggling, and my... Eyelids became overwhelmingly heavy. I, I blacked out. The next period of time is more unclear than the night of my arrival. I don't know how long it had been. I have brief flashes of memory of being laid on my back, my arms down by my side. As I drifted in and out of consciousness, I realized I was restrained to the bed. Straps covered me from top to the bottom. It was very close to being in the chair. I was just on my back, pinned flat, including my head, instead of sitting. People would come and go and discuss things if I wasn't there. I think I saw Joanna there at one point, exchanging something with another doctor. I don't remember anything that was said. There was an IV line in my hand, hooked up to a drip bag. I also have no idea what they, they even put inside of me. I eventually saw a woman in a yellow uniform injected something into my IV feed and blacked out entirely again. 
When I next woke up in the back of my cell, but things were very different. The room was the same, but there had been additions made to my restraints with something uncomfortable in my right nostril blocking it, running down the back of my throat. It hurt to swallow. In my right nostril, a solid tube had been inserted to the back of my sinuses, maintaining a steady airflow. I'd been placed sitting with my back against the wall facing the door. Solid poles ran down the sides of each leg, sewn into the canvas, preventing me from the bending my knees. Even if I could manage to stand up myself, I would only immediately fall over. No more pacing the cell for me. There was a padded sensation around my crotch between my legs that wasn't uncomfortable, but it was unusual. After shuffling myself side to side a bit to get to a sense of, of how I really felt about all of this, I understood that I had been diapered. No more bathroom breaks either. Lastly, I could feel straps around my head attached to a thick leather panel that was covering and pressing onto my mouth. The buckles of the muzzle were pulled in such a way that I could open my jaw inside my mouth. My tongue could feel my teeth, and they were coated in rubber. It was a mouth guard. My scalp felt cold, and I could feel the straps of the muzzle pressing into my skin of my, of my head. My hair had been shaved off completely. I tried not to think of that and what it might mean. It'll grow back once I'm out. I sat there, unable to move, and stared at the door. It was literally all I could do. What little freedom I had had been taken away. I had taken so much for granted, and now it was all gone. Eventually, after a long and unknown amount of time, I finally heard it. The click of her heels approaching. At last, she was coming to save me. She was going to take me home, and this whole sorry business will be chalked up to an experience, and we'll get on with our lives. I, I had to have hope. I, I was safe with her. The panel opened, and her face appeared before me. I had never seen anything so beautiful. Despite everything, I smiled behind my muzzle. She was herself, not wearing her mask of professionalism, and she smiled back. I heard a male voice asking if she wanted assistance, to which she turned away and said, No, thank you. He's been restrained, as I ordered. You can go back upstairs. I heard footsteps drift down the corridor, and she turned back and smiled again with a warmth I had missed so much. The lock opened, the door swung open. Joanna stepped into my cell and pulled the door slightly closed but didn't latch. She was holding a small box. The man was gone and we were alone. Except we weren't, she reminded me, by looking up behind her towards the camera. I also looked up and followed her gaze. After a moment, the red light turned off. The camera was no longer watching. With this, she sighed happily and turned back to face me. I wriggled foolishly in my restraints, giving a small pitiful groan. She smirked and said, So yesterday... I was ordered to drop what I was doing and come back to the Institute. Apparently, my new patient was having an uncomfortable rage episode, and I was needed to advise on how to proceed. She stepped to my left beside me and sat down, placing the box beside her. Pushing her hands onto the floor, she gave the cushiony a test of its buoyancy. Comfy, she quipped. She placed a hand onto my thigh. Her presence was intoxicating. I'd missed her so much, I could feel myself becoming aroused from her simple gesture alone, stroking her hand up and down 
my wrapped-up thigh, she mused. You know, considering how insistent you were on being here, I expected it to take at least another week for you to break. I broke eye contact and looked away in shame. She lifted her hand from my thigh, reached out and placed it on my cheek, gently turning my head to face her again. Don't feel bad, David. Honestly, I'm glad it was sooner. I was growing impatient. I'd been watching you languish in here for a week, and you're being so well-behaved. I was beginning to wonder if this would work at all. I raised an eyebrow. I couldn't speak through the muzzle. All I could give was a questioning grunt. She continued, While I needed you to give me reason to follow through, this is a very good look for you, David. You've made me so happy with this. She pulled out a rubber glove from her pocket, slid it over her hand, and reached into my diapered crotch. No lube. <laughs> but it wasn't needed. Her smell, her eyes, her smile were more than enough. Her being in the room with me, encased in canvas, head to toe and totally incapacitated, was indescribable and in how arousing it was. She worked my shaft methodically, watching every twitch of my face as she did so. Her speed increased, and I began thrusting in time with her. Very quickly, I exploded in her hand. Everything was contained in my padding, no mess this time. It was so powerful, as this was the first time a year ago. I withered like a worm in my bindings, moaning softly behind my muzzle. The pleasure overwhelmed me as I convulsed with ecstasy. This is what I wanted. This is what I needed. She pulled her hand out and removed the glove, pulled it inside out, and placed it back in her pocket. She looked at me and smiled. She said, I think now that you are as safe as I can make you, maybe it's time I tell you what's going to happen from here on out, now that you can't hurt yourself in any way. I gave a noise of agreement. I needed to know when I was going home. She cupped my face in her hands and said with genuine pleasure, David, this last week has been amazing for me. Every hour of every day I've known that you're in here waiting for me. I've routinely stopped by your monitor and just watched. She placed her hand back onto my thigh. Knowing you're here, captured and safe, if I've ever felt sad or stressed, I've just thought of you stuck in this box, suffering just for me, and it makes everything feel instantly better. Thank you. My eyes widened. The word suffering was, was said positively dripping with lust, and my brain was reeling from what was being said to me. All I could do was give a pathetic whimper. She reached back into her pocket and this time produced another syringe. I didn't want to be sedated again. I was afraid she wouldn't be here when I woke up. She placed a hand on my shoulder and rolled me onto my side. I felt a needle pierce my left buttock and could feel fluid streamed into my flesh. She pulled me back up to a sitting position. I waited for the grogginess to begin, but it never came. She leaned in towards me, so her nose was an inch from my ear, and wrapped her arms around my immobile body. She whispered, That was the last orgasm you will ever have, David. In light of your behavior, when you first arrived in the events of the other day, I've decided the best course of action to prevent further outbursts is to prescribe you a monthly depot injection. I've just castrated you. In a short time, you'll be unable to produce 
anything or become aroused at all ever again for that matter. I wasn't making any sense of this. What was going on? She pulled away and rested her hands in my lap. David, the documents you signed were not admission papers. They were a confession. A confession that has been backed, dated by years, and fed into the system here. On record, you're a monster. <laughs> she gave a short laugh and said, You know, women and children, David, how could you? In many other states, you'd be on death row. Lucky for you, we're merciful here. You can never be allowed back into society after your crimes. But you will be kept here, alone and safe, for me, forever. I felt ice in my chest, freezing terror. I was beginning to understand. She was stroking herself gently down her arms and gave a soft moan of pleasure as she watched the fear spread over my face. That's right, David. You're mine now. For the rest of our lives. I began to quietly sob. It was too late. There was nothing I could do. The worst part was I had done this to myself, and she knew it. She opened the box and pulled out yet another syringe. However, this one was comically oversized and had no needle. It was filled with a thick cream-colored fluid. Popping the plunger out of it, she said, I'm officially here to medicate you and feed you. By the way, biting that member of staff was more than I could have asked for. Your days of solid food are behind you. She held the wide open end of the syringe under my mouth and spat in it. Replacing the plunger, she reached my face and pinched whatever was hanging out of my nose between her fingers. So a part of me will be here with you after I'm gone. She said as she attached the syringe and pressed the plunger in. My stomach immediately felt cold. She was injecting the fluid straight down past my throat, depositing it directly into my stomach. My belly distended slightly as my meal was forced inside my body. When it was empty, she disconnected the nozzle from my feeding tube and placed the empty syringe back in the box. She turned her attention back to me, tapping a finger on the box. She said, You've been prescribed minor sedatives with your food for every meal from this day forward. They won't affect you as harshly as the others you've experienced, but give it a week, and I don't imagine there'll be much fight left in you. I'm also exploring the logistics of having you fitted with a colostomy bag and urinary catheter. It'll be more efficient than staff having to change your diaper multiple times a day. The wonderful thing about this arrangement is I get to decide everything that happens to your body. If it were possible to have your limbs amputated, I would. <laughs> she laughed. I think I might get away from uh, maybe having your vocal cords clipped, though. She stood up, brushed herself down, and continued. I've recommended you stay in these restraints at all times, muzzle included. I've already put in an official request to have your teeth pulled just to be doubly sure you can't harm yourself or anyone else in any way again. That should be approved within the week. When basic body maintenance is required that involves releasing you, you are to be fully sedated, you'll fall asleep in this room in your restraints, and you'll wake up in the exact same way every single day forever. She stooped to bring her face closer to mine. 
All I could do was sit there in my forever bondage and look up at her pitifully. She smiled again and said, You've made me so happy, David. Know that I will always be thinking of you. She inclined a finger to the camera. And you never know. Sometimes I might be watching. I'm looking into it if I can have your camera feed connected to my laptop so I can watch you at home whenever I want. She picked up the box and turned to leave. Sounding a bit morose, she explained, This is the second time I've done this. Unfortunately, security at my previous workplace was lax, and she managed to take the only way out she could. I couldn't keep her safe from herself, so as soon as I saw what this place could provide, I, I began looking for a replacement. Her mood brightened, and then I met you. You're perfect for me. I'm going to make absolutely certain you are as safe from the world outside and yourself as is physically possible. I will never, ever give you the chance to make one more single choice for yourself. I will keep you protected, I promise. She pushed the door open and took a half step through. She turned back. Her look was clinical and terrifying. There was something new in her eyes I had never seen before in all our time together. Something deranged. And now, to avoid any further chance of something going wrong, I'll be taking a less hands-on approach. It's been agreed that your weekly interviews are a waste of time, so I don't know when we'll be seeing you again. But know this, David. I will see you. I caught you. You're mine now. As far as you're concerned, you'll never leave this room again for as long as you live. Goodbye, David. I don't know if it was the drugs already working their way into my system or if I had simply just been broken mentally, but I couldn't respond. I didn't move. I didn't make a sound. I only watched as she stepped out of the cell. The door closed behind her. The lock snapped. The light went out, and I was plunged back into complete darkness. The red LED of the camera came back on. I listened to the sound of her heels clicking as she walked away. I don't know how long it's been. I've I've lost track of time. It's been ages ago. But I do know I haven't seen her in months, at least. The end. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. And my listeners, may your fantasies become a reality.